At Jared, we have a brilliant selection of beautifully crafted diamond engagement rings and certified loose diamonds so that you can find the perfect one for your one and only. Best selection, best prices. Enjoy the Jared difference today. Jared, love brilliantly. My name is Tracy Ariel, and I am unapologetically Canadian. And so it is November 1st as I record this. And this week I'm going to be talking about how important, the importance of celebration. And I'm thinking about that a lot today because last night was the first night ever in my life that I remember actually that I did not celebrate Halloween. We just closed the curtains and uh, turned off the lights and didn't participate at all. And this is even though we earlier this year we actually all went to pick out pumpkins. We never did carve them. Uh, I've bought a whole bunch of treats to give out to people. I was going to be participating because uh, I love Halloween and so usually I participate. But yesterday I just wasn't into it and uh, rather than fighting my mood I just decided no this year I'm not going to celebrate. Uh, and I don't have any regret regrets about that because I needed to sleep. I was it's perfectly fine. Um, and it sort of emphasizes what I got out of it in previous years because this is sort of the last hurrah before winter hits and it's an opportunity to have a lot of fun with your neighbors and and to connect to people around you and um, I'm not as connected to people around me because I didn't participate there's a lot of stuff on Facebook going on I'm not part of the conversation so um, it sort of emphasizes the point of what you get when you do participate which is a really good feeling about living in a community where it's safe to give treats to a bunch of kids that come to your door and how people actually did some really innovative things to uh, make that possible during the time of COVID-19. Uh, so uh, it just sort of reminds me how important it is to put regular celebrations in the calendar and keep them there and to keep them alive. And so I'm, I'm definitely going to make next year a lot more fun for Halloween. <laughs> Uh, today is also the first first day of NaNoWriMo. So I got up early this morning. I already did my more than 2,000 words. Uh, and I'm about to go into a brunch with everybody to start off the, the, to the season. This is a really good opportunity to celebrate writing and to celebrate uh, the desire to get a novel written in one month. And uh, I also spent almost all day, actually quite a long time yesterday, updating my website. And that's because the co-op hired an intern this week and in discussion with her about how the visual identity and brand and uh, technological operations of the co-op function, of course I couldn't help think of some of my personal brand uh, issues and some of the things I really wanted to change about my website. And so I just got down to it and finished it yesterday. And of course it's always a work in progress, so there's still things to be done, but the uh, new look is there and it's uh, operational and I've transferred from my host and everything is uh, tickety-boo. So that's a really good thing uh, to start off, to get ready for this winter with. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to think about um, the content and all of the um, uh, how I can actually keep my community active when some of the basic structures are in place, like a website uh, and uh, you know, Thrive Themes. I'm a Thrive Theme member, so uh, it's really easy to keep updating things on a regular basis. And they just came up with a shapeshifter theme, which means you can do anything you want on any page, which means that I can bring some of my uh, websites uh, into the same website again which will save me money uh, next year so that will be the next step but at first I had to get the look of my personal brand and the blog and everything the way I wanted it so uh, if you don't like it don't tell me because I love it and uh, I'm very happy with it it's exactly what I wanted to do and now I just need to focus on uh, getting the content up to snuff and uh, that's uh, so that you know that's in in terms of celebrations uh, and my none of that has anything to do, however, with the episode that I'm going to be publishing this week, which is a conversation with Penelope Arnold. I uh, have not met Penelope because, but she works in Orangeville, which is uh, where I grew up. Um, and but the reason that I'm contacting her is because she got shortlisted for the CBC Writers Prize for her story, The Imposter. 
So, um, hi, Penelope. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. So, can you tell me a little bit about the? Because I mean, you're not um, you're not known as a writer in Canada. You're you work as a pharmacist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I actually I had I did an English degree at Queens. Um, I guess I graduated in 1993, and and had thought about being a journalist, um, but my parents are very into science. And, and, you know, I was, I was kind of a good girl. I was always like, okay, I'll do whatever my parents want me to do. <laughs> so I was, I, I kind of thought, oh, I'll do something, maybe medicine or pharmacy, or even they were, you know, it was just, I realized when I was younger, I wasn't very confident about stuff. So I ended up doing pharmacy, started uh, studied pharmacy. And, um, but I always loved reading and writing. Ah. So I I always thought it would be so lovely to be a writer because I'm quite um, reclusive and I love like being on my own and reading and writing. So um, I had I hadn't really written anything like this before, but because my daughter had gone through a period of illness that was quite difficult, I one day just wrote, sat down and wrote about it, and um, I was surprised that it would it did well in the competition. But um, I was pleased, right? Because I thought that it, it's, it is a subject that I think a lot of people don't know much about. So it's a good thing to kind of talk about. Yeah, well, and, and yeah. your daughter didn't know that you were going to publish it before. <laughs> if I... No, no. So I had, I, I think it was one, like it was very close to the deadline. And I had, I had done this creative writing class. And at, at Christmas, on the, on the last creative writing class, uh, the teacher said oh I've got these calendars they're called contest calendars and they cost I don't know twenty dollars and every month there's a contest so if you want to improve your writing you should enter a contest so I thought okay I'll try to enter a contest every month and so of course I'd miss January so I thought oh February is the CPC nonfiction prize that sounds pretty good so I I managed to get it in by the deadline and um, forgot all about it like forgot all about it because of the coronavirus basically so, yeah. yeah, so it was a hot July day when I got into my car after a strenuous work shift and got this email saying, congratulations, you've made the long list. And I thought, what are they talking about? Like, I just completely <laughs> forgotten about it, right? Because COVID was, has been so devastating, right? For In pharmacy, it's been very, very stressful. So, and, and also for yeah, everyone this has been, been stressful Ill, right? for everybody who's been yeah. in, I, I run a farmer's market. And so I'm also, um, we've been operating every week. Um, it's not quite as stressful as um, indoor locations because we're outdoors. We start, we're going to oh, be indoors right. this week and it's a red zone. So it's like, it's much more stressful this week than it has been all summer, but it yeah. is stressful when you're trying to make sure that you keep people safe and that, you know, yeah, you're right. what you're doing is important. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's and, and it's just scary. extra work. <laughs> yeah, it is, and 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 I think too, people were panicking, and because like I work at Shoppers Drug Mart, pe people love coming to Shoppers Drug Mart. I heard one lady go, "I come here every day just to look at the deals and pick up my medicine and get my milk," and so Shoppers was the one place that was open throughout. So we were seeing everyone every day. Wow, and of course, people's fears, you know, they're. They're getting upset in Chopper's Drug Mart about about the coronavirus. So it, it was a lot of there were a lot of emotions, yeah. <laughs> for, you know, within the staff, within the customers, and so it was. And then I actually got coronavirus, and the store had to shut down. Oh, so that no. created a, a huge problem. Well, I think I, I I probably got it at work, but who knows, yeah, right? Who knows? So that was. And it was before the time of masks and, you know, a lot of restrictions had been put in place. It was, you know, early April. So um, then it was interesting because when I returned to work, some people didn't want to come near me, you know, even though I had recovered. Wow. So it's, it's a, the pandemic is a scary thing for people. You know? It is. It's very scary. So well, interesting. Yeah. And your story, the imposter is actually about a scary disease as well. I mean, can you talk a little bit about yes. writing? I mean, the, the, the beginning where, where your daughter comes home from Vancouver and is very clearly um, 
uh, not her usual self. Yes, she's not her usual, like she had transformed. um, And I, you know, we, I, we thought she was just into fitness, which if you have teenagers, it's a good thing to be into fitness, right? Mm -hmm. So I was like, she is the one I don't have to worry about. (laughs) She, she was, you know, good marks and fit and did everything as she should. And then she gets off a plane and I didn't even recognize her. And the problem with this illness, the hardest thing is that they become someone else, which is why I use that kind of theme. Yeah, the imposter. It's someone you don't even recognize. Yeah, like literally physically you don't recognize them and also mentally like her her humor had gone, her her affection. She was just this, you know, I am exercising, I am running 30 kilometers a day. And not eating properly, right? So right. you watch you, the weight. It, what, what's rock. the disease called? Because it's um. Oh, so well, it's anorexia nervosa, okay. but which, which you know, and I said in in the essay really that people use anorex like the word anorexic as an adjective to describe models or to describe thin girls, and it and there's an element of of it being voluntary, you know, like people think, oh well, she wants to be skinny, so she's skinny yeah yeah without the the image but they actually see different images in the in the mirror and everything yes yeah so they and and it's this like a psychiatrist would use the word egocentonic they they see something else they see beauty and um in her case she was seeing muscle because she lost all her fat so for to her that translated into a very fit and healthy person right and and you can't change the mindset that's what that's why I wrote it because it's like it's coming up against a brick wall of they are so stubborn about it or you know I shouldn't say they she was very stubborn but I know that the part the problem with treating this illness is that the patient doesn't see what the problem is right so what did you do and so it was so uh, well she's healthy now counseling she is healthy now but she she did go through a stage where the you know, the physician she was seeing in Mississauga said, well, she might have to be hospitalized because she, you know, her heart rate, the heart rate um, is compromised. The heart is compromised, all the organs. And you're talking about a person who used to be fully healthy six months ago is now, you know, the kidney fail is in, in kidney failure. And you just can't really comprehend it. Right? Yeah. And, you're, and, and it's very, it's very devastating because, the one person who can do can help herself she you know she just won't because she is someone else it's like she's someone else so uh, you know and you and I think parents do they get angry they're angry at their child like just eat like just stop this and and you it's it's there's no point being like that right you can't it's and and uh, a counselor said to me you have to separate the illness from the child until you can do that you're going to still be angry you're going to be angry and upset and so we called her, like we, we had another name for her. She said, she called, we called her Lucille. <laughs> I don't know how we got that name, but she was Lucille when she was a different person. Wow. And so, because they say it helps them to see, to separate the illness from themselves. Ah. And it did help her. That, that did help her. Okay. Wow. But it is a really difficult thing to watch your child just sink down. And you can't really do a lot. Right? Well, and you captured that emotion so, so, so well yeah. in your story, too. I mean, that was what was so captivating about reading it, is that you really felt that um, that all of the emotions, like the fact it began with your shock, and then it went through with your actually understanding it, and then trying to help. And I mean, it was a very well-written story. Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Thanks. <laughs> and so how does it feel yeah, to get recognition so... for this personal story? You know, I mean, you had to tell her. This. Well, I know. Cause <laughs> I mean, everybody I, in the poor Madeline, is she... reading about this, you know. <laughs> I know. Well, I thought, then I, well, when I realized it had been short or long-listed, I, I t- you know, I messaged my daughter and said, I'm really sorry that I've written this story and now other people are going to read it. And I actually have never really told you that I wrote it. And she was she thought it was kind of funny. She's like, Oh my gosh. But she knows, you know, I get quite emotional about the children. So she's like, Oh, it was probably good for you to write it. Like she's very understanding. And, um, and, and now she's so good about 
talking about her illness that she because she says it, if it helps other people it would be a good thing right 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 exactly so i'd like to think it could help other people yeah because when i was investigating it when she had first been diagnosed i had read a blog from a lady in australia with a daughter and um it really helped me to know that there were other people who were as mystified as i was about this behavior right, right. yeah well, yeah. and then once she's seeing a medical professional, you don't actually get access to what they say or anything, right? So how did you handle that? No, no. And, and then you wonder, like, and, and the whole time you just feel guilty. I'm like, are they saying that it's my fault? Did I do something wrong? You know, and and I was always very careful about never saying much about weight and things to the girl, you know, because I have another daughter, too. And so I thought, no, I, I didn't do that. I, but you, you, as a parent, I think when some things happen to your child, you, you kind of blame yourself. Well, at least I do, right? I, I'm, uh, I, I kept saying, you know, I just kept in the counseling because it was always myself and my daughter and a counselor, and um, she, she'd say, oh, you're you're crying, but that's good, you know. I and I said it's because I feel guilty. She goes. You don't have to feel guilty. This is not your fault, right? But you do feel that it is your fault. I don't know. Yeah. No. Well, you know? I think it, I mean, yeah, I'm a yeah. parent too, and I feel guilty even when they're perfectly fine. So. <laughs> yes. No. You're right. Exactly right. <laughs> it's just this burden of guilt. Well, and I find that there seems to be in society that, that it's always the mother's fault too, especially. Uh, rather than I, yeah, you're rather right. than just parents' fault, rather you know. Than, I mean, it can be parents' fault yeah. more, but it seems like mother get, mothers yeah. get blamed more often than fathers. Yeah. But depending on the situation, of yeah. course. <laughs> but uh, you're no, right. It, you're right. It, yeah. it was yeah. It was a, a a great story, and and I was interested in um, reading also that um, you're um, you're actually going, looking at writing other projects that in, in around very uh serious things because you were you were saying your next project resolves yes. around the opioid crisis opioid crisis so. yeah because i thought like i find that um practicing pharmacy you i mean community pharmacy you see a huge range of illness and situations but in orangeville um there are quite a few people who have addictions to opioids and we and, and I think there's a lot of stigma with addiction. There and is. I mean, when I, I, grew, in Orange, yeah, and when I, I grew up in Orangeville, there was opioids weren't a thing then, but there was, um, we had the dogs, you know, there was a big drug problem and we had dogs in every Friday at the high school and there was, um, Oh, really? There was a, yeah. a house that sold uh, hashish and all sorts of other things just up the street. And so it's, not, right. you know, this is not a, the, the 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 problems with drugs are not are not new. I think every small town, probably, no. I think every community has some sort of that. Like, the... yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And and so I I just I thought you know you go up like Zina Street, such a pretty street with all these pretty houses, and then just a few blocks over, you're kind of in this neighborhood, and you're you're thinking, oh, would I walk here late at night? But but you know I I. It's interesting to me that people live side by side, and and some people have no idea about the lives of their neighbors, and and it, well, it's not really about that, but it's about um, someone who, like a a couple who dose, like they take methadone to overcome an addiction, and they have a child, and I always have wondered when people come to dose methadone at our pharmacy that you see them with their children, and you wonder, I wondered one day what that child was thinking as she watched her mother drinking the methadone like yeah is she thinking that this is a medicine or is she thinking that this is just a nice drink and the, but the child didn't ask anything so I I thought they've told her something I just don't I just sometimes wonder and so I thought it'd be interesting to have a book about this child like her prospects for her future you know and what her life would be like so I started writing a book about it and it's, I think I've been trying, like, it's been, a, it's a couple of years old, but it's so the creative writing class was you go to the class and you give chapter by chapter to your colleagues and they critique it. And so there was, of course, there's a lot of criticism <laughs> and you have to be able to take the criticism, which is good. But 
sometimes it's discouraging, right? Yeah, I guess it would so, be. <laughs> Especially when it's such a when it's a work in progress, I'm surprised that um that, that there would be a lot of criticism with a work in progress. Like it seems to me part of it has to- Yes. Well, well, I think like yeah, some people are very encouraging, others are very critical, but then you think, well, this would be my audience. This is quite a a, a range of ages at, around this table with different experiences. And if they're all saying that this voice isn't the good, you know, this is this point of view isn't good, I should change my point of view, then I would follow what they were saying. But but what was interesting is that one of the ladies there, and I didn't I hadn't said that I was a pharmacist, she said, Well, I just don't believe that that people would go up to the pharmacist and get dosed for methadone. And oh. I, she goes, I think you need to do a bit. She goes, I think you need to do a bit more research. <laughs> and the one said, thing you know the most said, about. That's oh. hilarious. I know. Wow. I know. So I said, well, actually, I, I do this every day. And so they were absolutely shocked, right? And I thought, it, to me, that was so interesting that people aren't aware of it like they are just not aware that people are being dosed to to withdraw from opiates well how would you be aware like unless you happen to be a patient i mean who else would know yeah who else would know that's true like there's a lot of um in the news about naloxone kits and you know as an antidote to opiate opioid overdose and some people take more of an interest than others but i guess you wouldn't know and then, but then there's the whole. No, because I didn't know. Yeah, and yes, so that's why I thought. That's why I thought a book would be a good way of maybe informing people. You know, like I don't know. I don't even know if it's appropriate for me to write about this, but I don't know. So is it yeah, a so novel? So it's a novel. So it's fiction. Is it a novel? It's fictional. It is fictional completely, but but it's taken from experience, okay. right? Okay. So. Um, well, I mean, it, um, what's that wonderful uh, author the, who does the, who's a coroner? Oh, yes, she, she about murders, about yeah. murders, yeah. based on the coroner. Um, um, the, uh, oh, yes, I know what you mean. Uh, yes. Kathy Rakes. Yes, Kathy exactly. <laughs> yeah, so if she can well, do it, surely then I thought, you can. Well, is this interesting enough? <laughs> but the, the thing is, I, what I find interesting is there's also, you know, people who are, who are professionals who are, who take methadone, who want to hide it, who don't want to be seen. And, and you have to be very careful with that kind of thing. But so, you know, it's difficult. It's a difficult subject because it's a very private thing. But I do think addiction is more common than people realize. Right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure it is. I mean, it's a I think that's one thing about small towns versus cities like mine is you can ignore um, all sorts of problems that are right around you because you don't know everybody. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. (laughs) I mean, in a small town, everybody knows everybody. But I did have one. I had because I I mean, I had one patient who's I said, you know, you're taking oxycodone and you're or you're always early requesting it. So this is a sign of opioid use disorder. And he was so angry, so angry that I said that. And I said, I'm not being personal. I'm not. Wow. I'm just telling you that the first sign is refilling your prescription two days, like two days early, then four days early. I said, so you're not taking just four a day. Now you're taking six a day. That, so this, this is the most highly addictive medication out there, oxycodone. So then a couple of days later, wow. I got a call from his doctor saying, you can't talk to the patients like this and I said well this is ridiculous I've done the the course at CAMH like the Center for Opioid and Mental Health right Center for Addiction and Mental Health so I think more physicians and more pharmacists need to take this course right and so so then a, a week later this patient's wife turned up and said you can't talk, you talk to my husband as though he was a street person, she said. And I said, what is a street person? I said, anyone can become addicted to medication, anyone. Like medication or, like you can't just, it's not, it's not just one portion of society that has this problem. So, you know, that, so that's when I decided to write this book and and they're not in the book or anything like that, but I, I, it just tells me that people don't believe that it can happen to them. 
Yeah. And it yeah. can. Well, very you know? clearly they can't. I mean, they, yeah. they feel like yeah. they can't. But I mean, even though all the warnings in, are there, I mean, I guess if you're you're taking it for whatever reason, you're not paying attention to those warnings anymore. Yeah, of, yeah. And you're hurtful. right. It's like post-surgical painkillers, right? So, yeah. yeah, they make you feel great. So you want more. But yeah, guess what? <laughs> yeah, and this is a big problem, right? Yeah, so, it is a big problem. And yeah. and it's but it'll be interesting to see what you um that how your novel progresses and I can understand the feeling of uh, having a, I have a book that's been around that I'm still working on since 1996. So oh, wow. <laughs> I've written many other books and things since then, but it's like there's some projects that just take time to percolate, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And then and so I wasn't I kind of lost confidence in the book and but then but then the cbc contest has given me a bit of a boost right so it's like okay i think i can do this right so it's kind of nice it's (laughs) if you think because i think too like i just turned 50 so i was like oh my gosh am i going to be doling out pills when i'm 80 still (laughs) do you know what i mean like I, I need to do something else with my life, and I really love writing. Yeah, so well, why not? This, right? and it's so, certainly, uh, yeah. it's certainly yeah. when you've shown that you can uh, get a, not only um, uh, a topic that it attracts people's interest, but also you've written in it in a way that it that, that garnered awards. So you know that you can do it with a short story. So surely you can do it with a novel too. Oh, well, thanks, Tracy. That's very encouraging. That leads to my other question, because you are a full-time pharmacist, how does writing fit into your life? Like, what's your schedule? What do you do? Uh, how do you make it work? Um, well, so what I do is because I, I like the 3 till 10 shift because I'm not a morning person. I'm pretty bad in the morning. I like to do, like, light housework and possible groceries in the morning, and then I go to work. But then at 11 p.m., I'm, like, fully awake and you know so that's when I will write from like 11 till 1 maybe so you start work at what time and then and then I'll like like 11 p or so I work at 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 in the pharmacy oh okay so you have a late schedule for everything then okay yeah yeah I have a late schedule and then and then I do my writing sort of 11 p.m till 1 or 2 a.m because I because no one's around and I kind of I seem to have more energy Whereas I'm actually yeah, we're, we're, we're opposites that way. It's interesting to hear. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I used to be a night owl oh, really? when I was in high school and things. But yeah. I mean, since I had kids, I, I still get up at the time that they used to wake me up. At. <laughs> They're no longer awake, but i that's when I write. I write from six until nine. See, that's so good. I admire people who can get up early. I really do. Because obviously having small children almost killed me because they get up so early. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think it, I'm not sure it matters which way you do it as long as you make time to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. So, because I, yeah, it's funny. And so, right? um, so that, I mean, that's... I'm sorry, I was going to ask you what other kinds of things you write. Sorry. Like, are you writing, um, are, are you working on the novel all the time or do you have other projects? Well, well, I had a bit of a break because I kind of make things up as I go. And I've tried like umpteen times to make an outline and I can't do it. I just can't stick to it. So I just kind of write the novel when I'm in the mood. Like I'll suddenly think, oh, this would be good. So then I'll go and scribble it down. But, but so what I had done is join this online, it's, I think it's a British um, website called Readsy. I don't know yes, if you've ever heard yes, of Readsy. Yes, I know Readsy. And they do it, they do it, all right. Well, they just do a short story prompt every week. So some things just catch my imagination and then I'll write a short story. Oh. And I usually, I always submit it to them and have never, ever like won anything. And I don't know how reputable it is, but it has, it sparks me to kind of do something, oh, no, Reedsy, which I think is good. I think Reedsy is very reputable and it has a, um, it actually, you can hire editors and things through that site too. And so, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, and who cares as long as it works for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, are you going to be part of Yeah, Ryan No, I know you're month? right. Have you heard of the National, Sorry, writing, national Novel Writing uh, um um, what is it called? And then Arimo. So it's a national writing. Uh, hold on, let me look at my email for it. But uh, basically, every every year 
in November. Um, there's a there's nonprofit okay. or, or it's 90rymo.org and they do a, a challenge to write 50,000 words in a month. And they have all sorts of writing oh, prompts I... and all this kind of stuff oh. too. So that the idea is that you would finish your novel in a month. Have you ever participated oh, in so that? Good. No, no. <laughs> Maybe right, I, will I should. You. It's, it's, it's N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O. And actually, this particular, our, our conversation okay. will be um, published probably during NaNoWriMo because, uh, because it's, I think it's four weeks from now that it's going to be published. Um, but basically, it's okay. NaNoWriMo. And then you, and there's, and what you are is you're called a pantser, which means that you don't plan your books, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> and so you can actually... <laughs> You, you can actually, you, you have like not, you, you're basically, a, I'm, a, I'm a planner, I'm a pantser, and then, or I'm a planter, which means that you plan some of it, but then you, you, um, uh, make it up after make- that, you know? So it's really interesting. Oh, but anyway, right. so yeah. NaNoWriMo, and if you go to uh, National Novel Writing Month, if you just plug that into, um, into Google, you'll find it, but it's, it's basically NaNoWriMo.org. N-A-N-O-W-R-I-M-O okay, and they have a ton of different and they have local community writers who get together and this will be my first year um, doing it as well so <laughs> I think it's really exciting oh so that yeah that's exciting so thanks a lot I will I will do that I think yeah. because that I, I kind of was in a rut you know well, that's the thing is the advantage of this um, is that there's a whole bunch of other people um there's quite a few Canadians I don't I'm in the Montreal sector so I don't know who's in Ontario but I suspect that there'll be some people in your neighborhood that you will be able to find either if not in Orangeville then somewhere nearby um and uh, you can join that right, chapter okay. and then there's like a forum to discuss things and they've already been sending out prompts because I haven't decided what book what I'm going to work on for the month but so every second day I get this thing saying have you decided what you're working on for NaNoWriMo yet and get ready and so it's like it's very <laughs> every day in your emails that you get this feeling like um it's basically yeah. on the first of October it was like countdown to NaNoWriMo high writers you know and, and so it's really quite exciting <laughs> you really feel oh, like well, thanks Tracy I'll, I'll look that up yeah, that's so good because it, you do. It's I mean, like the mindset, the writer mindset is very, very difficult. I've been a writer since 1993, full-time writer since 1993, and it changes every single year. And that is always the hardest thing. It never really improves. Oh wow! <laughs> I mean, you like, always go up yeah. and down, but it's, you always need help. <laughs> <laughs> At least I do. Yeah, I know it's true. It's true because I'm like, where am I going with this? Like, what you know? And then, and then with the criticism group, I was like, oh my god, oh my god, everyone hates this. But then, when I so you have to send in a hard. Oh no, you send it to the people a week before, and then you all meet, and they printed it off with all their comments. So when I looked back at them, they were actually more encouraging than I had realized at the time. So. I, I, it's funny. Criticism is funny, but it can put you off, right? It can really put you off. Yeah. Well, um, I'm, I'm part of a, a genealogy writers group and we uh, meet once a month and everybody gives uh, the Monday before the, the meeting is like the fourth Wednesday of, um, of the month. And uh, every, the, the Sunday before we extend our stories to each other and then people comment on them. And the, sto- the, the meeting is basically taken up with comments, but I find it, um, this particular group is so positive. Everybody's oh, so positive that it turns out to be just a, and now we also have lots of comments. I mean, we have to almost always redo our stories after all the comments. So it's not <laughs> like there isn't criticism, but it's such, it's such rewarding criticism because everyone loves the stories so much, you know? Oh, that's so nice. That's very nice. Very supportive, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you may want to encourage your, your critics, your criticism group that, you know, maybe you, you, they should, you could add a section to say, okay, everything you like about the story first. Oh yeah. Good idea. Yeah. I think so. And I could see like, if, if someone <laughs> you know, and you must say, you must say something and nice. you must say three things versus, you know, if you have a criticism, you have to find two positive things to say for every criticism or something yeah. to take the, to turn the culture around. Yeah, you're right. Like the, the, my daughter says and it's a, a criticism sandwich, like good, then bad in the middle and then yeah. good again. Yeah. 
because yeah, 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 just so that you can focus on some of the positive things too. Yeah. Because everybody has a talent, and then what's interesting is if you're focusing on the on the positive things, you find out who has the talent in the group, and so then you know if you have something you're struggling with, who is good at that? You know, like we have one person who's particularly good at description, right. and uh, another person who's really good at dialogue, and, oh, and right. we have, we have yeah. a poet in the group. You know, so oh, wow. and one is yeah. fun. We have the. the there's two people who are particularly funny. Oh, right. So you want to go to this, you know, for if you're trying to write something funny. I know. And and I love humorous books, right? Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> well, and the thing is, it's hard to be a writer sometimes. It is really hard. It is really hard. So, but Tracy, that's very encouraging. Thanks so much. This is great. Okay, I'm going to... Oh, well, you're welcome. It's fun. I'm so, like I said, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm hoping that your project will be um, done soon because I think it's really, really important. The opioid crisis is, is something that everybody needs help with for sure. Yeah, okay. You're right. Um, and, and, and it's interesting because it, it gets a lot of attention in the States, but it doesn't get so much attention in Canada. Right. Yeah, you're right. Like, um, how would, is, it, is it as strong? Is, is the problem as difficult here as it is in the States or is because we have healthcare, are people caught? and helped earlier or something yeah like I think I think people are helped like when I see the support that people who like there's a couple who have now four children they're very young and um the one of them has just been put into rehab which is great and she's so the husband is looking after the kids with his mother and I'm looking at them going how are they coping you know but they just they seem very positive and they're getting a lot of help from you know everyone and I, I thought that's really a good thing, though it's taken a, quite a long time for it mm-hmm. to happen. But um, I, you know, I don't know, like, it, it's difficult. I, I was speaking to one of the doctors at, at Orange, like Headwaters Healthcare, like the hospital. And she said, well, we, ha- we haven't had a lot of training on, say, Suboxone, which is a new way to treat withdrawal. And so I was going through the rules with her from the CAMH template and she's like well thanks very much and we're also having someone coming in to show us but so I thought that's good right but there needs I think there needs to be more communication really between physicians and pharmacists and nurse practitioners and so that could be another avenue even on the local side I was thinking you know just more education right because the CAMH course like shoppers paid Mm -hmm. for me to do it and it was expensive I think it was like twelve hundred dollars for me they paid for me to go and I was like, there are a lot of practitioners who would balk at paying that, you know, to spend two days in Toronto. And it's, you know, like they would really, like people have other expenses and other things to do, right? So uh, even if the... Yeah, well, yeah. If, if, sorry. Sorry, I was just going to say if there's, um, is there a public information somewhere? Because we can link to that in the show notes too. Oh, right. Yeah, like I... Um, I'm not sure, like, well, it's like, it's Cam H, they do a professional course every year. Um, I think it's in, I think it was, yeah, so it's C-A-M-H, and they always have a physician talking to other health professionals about opioid, you know, methods of rehabilitation, and I know it's... Oh, good, The, the Cam H has a... CAMH has a, a website. They have a um, opioid edition page. Oh, okay. So I can link to that. Okay, good. That's good. Because I think, because it was such they a... Like a public page that says opioid. Yeah, like it, it's... it's Because it talks about... Um... Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah no, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. It, like it, it just, it's, it's very helpful. It was like so helpful for me. Like so helpful. Because you get a lot of situations where the doctor will phone you saying, well he's in withdrawal, what, you know, what dose should I give? And I'm like, well, so there's a a distinct protocol to, to help people if they've decided to stop using heroin, for instance, and how much they need to start on methadone or suboxone. And so they go through very specific case studies. And another, another problem too, is over the counter Tylenol ones, which contain eight milligrams of codeine, people abuse them hugely. And they're available in the pharmacies and pharmacists give them out like candy. And, and that was another thing. So I've changed my practice since then and where I don't give Tylenol ones, I give out 30. And after I've 
talk to the patient for quite a while. But, you know, they're available as pack as 200 bottles, two pack of 200 bottles. And so that's 1600 milligrams of codeine right there, which is a lot of codeine. And that's just available over the counter, no prescription needed. So things like that need to be addressed. Yeah. Yeah. People come oh, up from the states and I get yeah that. they get Tylenol with codeine because in the states they won't sell it over the counter. And so um, now uh, the other thing that Paige actually says is that you can get a free na- naloxone kit. Na- oh yeah, naloxone. So naloxone kit. is and so if you yeah if you overdose, um, it's an antagonist to any opioid, so it can save their life. Because basically, if you take if you take an overdose of an opiate your breathing stops. It's a respiratory depressant. So you die because you're, you can't, you don't breathe. Um, so it antagonizes that procedure. So you actually, it's very, very, it's a life-saving, easily accessible um, medication. But so they can come in, anyone can come in and get it free. The government will pay for it. And so we get a lot of people coming Yeah, that's in. what this page says. Yeah. Because so, it says that basically, if you, if you or someone you know uses opioids, it's good to have one on hand. Exactly, exactly. So that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, it's got it, you know, because somebody who knows somebody can just get a, yeah. one of these kits, and at least they can save their life. Yeah, exactly. There is some sort of overdose. And yeah, and they've made it now a nasal spray. So you just instead of using a needle, which you might be uncomfortable with doing, you just stick it up the nose and deploy the spray. And there, it's it's very clever. It's good. Um, wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. no, I like I said, if I hadn't been interviewing you, I wouldn't know anything at all about uh, this. <laughs> I've never heard about it. All right. You know, other than the news stories on the internet that, you know, sort of fly by Facebook every now yeah, and then. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. So, so yeah. but, um, yeah, so, uh, the, you know, the, this is unapologetically Canadian. So my last question is, do you, sell, do you consider yourself Canadian and what does that mean to you? Well, yes, I do because I like my parents moved over um, for because my father is South African and he's actually non-white and was uh, sort of a really had a pretty nasty time in Cape Town in 1950s, right? So went to England and because he wasn't he always wanted to be an engineer and wanted wasn't allowed to be um, an engineer as he wasn't white. So he went to England, his mother saved up and saved up to send him. And he ended up studying medicine. He worked and he's pretty smart guy went to University of Liverpool met my mom who was also studying medicine. And then in the 60s, I guess, the Canadian government was advertising for British doctors to go because they needed doctors here. So they moved over in 1967, I think to Hamilton and then were put out in Walkerton where they were the only doctors in a large area. And, um, but then eventually moved to Waterloo. So they've been in practice in Waterloo for like 40 years. But so, yes, we all consider. Are they still in practice? Oh, well, my mom just stopped. And actually what stopped her was COVID. She got COVID in the middle of her practice. So, yeah, I know. So we had to, we had to shut it all down. It was pretty bad. But um, yeah, so we we all enjoy Canada very much, and it's been a great place for Dad because he was able to sponsor all his brothers and sisters because he was one of nine out from South Africa, and so considers Canada a great country where you know equal rights, everyone's seen for who they are, not the color of their skin. So it, it you know it's it was a good move on his part. You know? Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And so you were born in, in Britain? I was born in Britain because mom, like, they came over to Hamilton. And it's funny because my husband's from Hamilton, but mom's like, oh, it was just like, I was so homesick for England because she's from, like, Hereford, where the Hereford cows are from. Like, it's all farmland. It's beautiful, right? So she would work for a bit and oh. go over to visit her mom, have a baby, get pregnant in Canada, go and have a baby in England. <laughs> Like she was, she found it hard. She found it hard. Like she's quite homesick, but now she's fine. Right. But it, the first few years were hard, right? Cause they didn't know anyone. They were, you know, 
I think it was difficult, but now, you know, obviously with time, everything changes, but they had seven children. So where did you grow up then? So we grew up. Where did you grow up? Yeah. So I was born in Hereford in England and then they bought a house in Waterloo because they were a bit like mom's like a Walkerton. It was just like, it was, mom quite likes a busier city. So when, and Waterloo then was not busy, but they, so they established a practice in, in Waterloo and, and bought a house. And they're still in that house. Yeah, in in Waterloo. Wow. Yeah. So and and so I grew up with farmland, you know? And 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 they sent us to school in Toronto and people in Toronto would be like, Where do you live again? What where is Waterloo? Like I was like the hick. I was like <laughs> And now of course it's famous for the university and <laughs> but it's like they thought I was a real hickster. So <laughs> it was quite funny. This was the University of Toronto? Uh, like, no, this is at... Um, Which school? Well, because they sent us to the Toronto French School because they wanted us to learn French. Because oh. get this, they, they were like, we like to go to France and eat the lovely food and have the wine, but we can't speak French. So one, one year, my dad <laughs> took over his big Ford van with his seven kids, and we spent the summer just driving through France with all of us like under 10 going like like <laughs> like asking asking Dan to be like can you get out and ask them how I put pump this gas <laughs> like, can you ask us where can you ask them oh where we gosh, can stay for the night and no one wanted to have like two people two adults and seven children like <laughs> That was so funny. Yeah, that's a that's that's a very hard. Yeah. Like they they would have to have two hotel rooms. I know. And sort of with a door. I know. That would be very difficult. And now that I've had three children, I'm like, my parents wow. were crazy. They were crazy. And seven children under ten. Yeah, like yeah, so seven in ten years, <laughs> and they were all like, oh well, we'll just take the car over because we won't be able to fit any. Like the European cars will never fit us all. And and dad on that trip got so many offers from people. People would come up and go like say to us in French ask your father how much he would sell this van for that's like I can't sell this van we, we need this van <laughs> <laughs> so yeah my parents are very interesting right everyone I know is like you have to write a yeah, book about so your parents great. right <laughs> like their their yeah, first date like their first date in Liverpool my mom's like oh we were at this ice rink and this small band was playing and it turned they turned out to be quite famous I was like what band was that she's like the Beatles I'm like your first date was on an ice rink with the Beatles <laughs> like unknown Beatles right <laughs> they're so funny my parents. yeah uh, yeah oh my god that sounds fabulous yeah so <laughs> and so are, do you have um do you have canadian citizenship yes it, yeah so we all have canadian it, or are you dual citizens? yeah so we're dual citizens because um we i guess that's how it happened and yeah so we can, we have british passports and canadian passports so it's been really we've been very lucky like we're very lucky that my parents were able to yeah, yeah like finance us to like travel and even though it was a bit hairy at times, they were all about, mm -hmm. you know, education and travel and opening your eyes and acceptance of, of people, which is great. Right. Yeah. So. And so what about your, you're, you're also, your children are also dual citizens. Yeah. So, so I studied pharmacy in England and cause I, I love it there. Right. So I was like, I, and my grandma lived there and she wasn't doing so well. So I thought, well, I could study and go and keep an eye on her. And then I, so I had gone to Queens and met my, my then boyfriend at Queens and he, he came over with me and got a job at Barclays Bank. And so we lived there for 12 years and then came back. So I've kind of spent, I really oh, spent most good. of my life in Canada and then had a 12 year gap in England and then came back. But, um, so, so my eldest daughter, so M Madeline actually is studying in England right now because I, 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 I think that it's good to travel and experience different cultures, right? That, that I've always taught them that, that if you can do it, it's a good thing. So she, she yeah. and, and I think part of her struggle too, uh, that's why I felt guilty, I guess, because she was far away from home and, you know, a little bit homesick and struggling with eating and exercise. And so I was like, oh, she was too young to go away. And 
so that was part of it. But now she's so happy and is fine. So, but whereas my son, he's a homeboy and he's at, he's at um, Guelph, which is only 20 minutes from here, Guelph University. And he loves being home and doesn't really yeah. like traveling. <laughs> so it's so funny, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Children are all their own people. You can't count. So how would you describe your feeling about Canada? Do you consider yourself a Canadian? Yes, I do very much. Yeah, like I I do love England. But the last time I was there, I was really homesick for Canada. And and when I lived there, I was so homesick in the winter, just for the snow. And, And, you know, Thanksgiving, like this time of year, I love with the trees turning. And just uh, and, and how everyone is so like you know you feel really proud to be Canadian like in the Olympics you th- it's so nice when they do well do you know what I mean like it's just you feel and and then the reputation abroad like if you go to Canada like oh Canadians are so nice they're just so nice and you know I always had to say I'm not American I- I'm not American like, <laughs> which is terrible it sounds terrible but you know uh, people's attitudes do change right when they hear it, you're Canadian so it's funny but yeah yeah yeah. so I'm really happy living here I'm really lucky where I live right it's a nice area and and I'm lucky in my job you know that I'm needed and I have a job so it's a Mm -hmm. good thing and and yeah and 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 it's been busy yeah well thank you very much I really appreciate your uh conversation today it's uh um really interesting to hear uh because your experience is uh, so wide-ranging. And uh, thank you very much. Okay, thanks a lot, Tracy, very much. Thank you for listening to Unapologetically Canadian. Please consider supporting our podcast for two ninety nine a month. Join select listeners and get additional episodes every month. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.